0: Today's episode is very different from our normal lineup. We're talking about intimacy and marriage, and so if you have littles in the room, now would be a good time to push pause and either find some headphones or wait until later to listen. We go in-depth in this topic as Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife answers all of my burning questions and yours from a question box on Instagram stories about sex and marriage and how you can improve your marital intimacy. This episode is intended for married couples and is definitely not intended for a young audience or single people trying to abstain from sex. Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is a relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois with a PhD in counseling psychology from Boston College. She wrote her dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. She's taught college level courses on human sexuality and is currently teaching online relationships and sexuality courses and live workshops to LDS individuals and couples. The opinions in this episode are those of Dr. Finlayson Fife's and do not necessarily represent the opinions of the Church of Jesus Christ, although she and I are both members. I hope you'll take from this episode what's helpful to you and feels right and leave, if anything, whatever does not. I'm so grateful for Dr. Fife taking the time to record this episode with me, and especially on the week of Valentine's Day, I hope it helps bring many married couples closer together. Okay, tonight I am here with Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife, and we had the treat of listening to her tonight in Irvine in a fireside. I don't even know what the non-church term would be for that but basically just a Friday night date night presentation. Yes (laughs) and it was wonderful and we talked all about how to strengthen your marriage and um, right before I actually asked my audience what questions they would have for a marriage intimacy therapist specialist so Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of questions come in but before we get to those I just want to start off with a little bit of a story that I was telling you right before we started to record this which Mm. is when Neil and I were first married, um, like nine years ago, we went to another fireside with a church leader of ours at the time, and he started giving us some advice. Actually, I think this was when we were engaged. Mm. And he was giving us this advice that before you get married, Satan will do everything he can to try to push you together in- intimately. Mm. And and this is a, giving a talk to an audience of kids who are or people who— are striving to be like sexually um abstinent, abstinent. Until marriage. yes mm-hmm. until marriage and so he said you know Satan will do everything he can to try to push you together until mm-hmm. you get married and as soon as you get married he'll do everything to try to pull you apart mm-hmm. and I have observed that and I feel like a lot of people struggle with that so today I hope that we can talk about um how to bring that back in a healthy way and mm-hmm. just some of the like actual really tactical questions that my audience has that I have about having sexual intimacy be a good thing and be something that you look forward to that is more alive in your marriage. Mm-hmm. So um,
1: okay,
0: So let's start off with just that thought. What are your thoughts on that and why that mm-hmm. happens? There's so much like sure. magnetic attraction before and then it seems to just repel and pull away as yeah. soon as you get not sure. as soon as you get married, but, but quickly close. after. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I've never thought about it from that idea that it's a Satan thing. I mean, it's an interesting (laughs) idea, but I've never thought of it that way. I think that how I think of it is that attraction is high before you get married, because especially if you're trying to be abstinent, because there's a factor that's alive both premaritally and postmaritally that would shape the phenomenon you're talking about, and that is that your desire to belong to yourself is more powerful than your desire to be sexual. Mm-hmm. So anything, and this is related to your question, anything that makes you feel like you're losing yourself
0: mm-hmm.
1: will make you not want to be sexual. Okay, so if, if being sexual makes you feel like you're losing your sense of self or losing a sense of, of belonging to your own life, you won't want to be sexual. And anything that makes you feel like you belong more to yourself okay, or expands your sense of self will make you want to be sexual. Okay, so what's happening when you're falling in love and you're attracted to somebody is the presence, being with them expands your sense of self. They love you, they are attracted to you, they desire you. It's all very reinforcing of your self-concept and so it feels good to be close to them. It's not just the sexual pleasure Okay. But it's also that being with them makes you feel alive, makes you, it's exciting. It's also factors like novelty, the Mm -hmm. uncertainty of it, you know, that nothing's kind of set in stone or secure. All that adds to the excitement of the the sexual interaction, the unknown of it. Right. And so, but it just makes you feel alive. Their love and attraction for you makes you feel good. When you get married, and this is often more true for women than men, is that once you get married, that it makes you, if you feel and you've grown up in a religious framing, sometimes you start to feel that now that you're married, you you should have sex. Yeah. Or that it's your marital obligation or, you know, a lot of the factors that were existing before marriage are now not there. Now there's the novelty and the uncertainty are gone. Now it's highly legal You're supposed to have it. You know, it's been three days and he's getting impatient. Okay. And so then it takes it out of this sense of, oh, this reinforces me and makes me feel so desirable. Now it starts to make me feel obligated, makes me feel pressured. And that constricts your sense of self. Okay. And it makes you feel like, oh, well, he wants me not because I'm so desirable, but because he feels that I owe him something or that I should do it. And then we tend to not want it. It's not that we don't like sexual pleasure, but we don't necessarily want to feel owned or pressured or that we don't have choices. And then the other factor, of course, is that very easily, and this can speak to the question you're pointing us to, is you know, very easily in marriage, you can start to do things that make it boring, okay? <laughs> and we <laughs> do this in part because we're distracted and have a lot of things going on, you mm-hmm. know, and we become accustomed to each other. But we can also do it because we, in some ways, want the safety of boredom in marriage. Mm. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. Yeah, We, in some ways, like almost want to flatten the eroticism and the sexuality of marriage to make it feel more familial, like more family-like, safer, especially when you start to have kids, yeah, you sort of want to de-eroticize it. And people do this unwittingly and very easily because notions of family life don't, you know, culturally sort of give you notions of sexuality. Right. We sort of think of it as antithetical to family life. And so we can often unwittingly start to kind of strip the marriage of the ideas and the the behaviors that would facilitate a sort of thriving sexual relationship.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. So I guess for this whole conversation, I'm kind of going to have to be the guinea pig because sure. I, I'm the only one that knows. I don't really know anyone else's sex life other than my own. Sure. So if we don't have that problem, like once we get there, and my problem is getting there. Mm. Like once we're there, I don't really have that much of a problem with, being able to really enjoy sex. I actually really like sex mm-hmm. but it's like getting there mm-hmm. that's hard. And Meaning
1: trans- transitioning from the day-to-day mundane, I'm thinking about the podcast or whatever you have on your mind.
0: Yeah, <coughs> and kids and mm-hmm. um I'm tired or yeah. all of the like very unsexy parts of life that yeah. and then you're supposed to transition to that or even just wanting that. Like I feel like once I'm in that zone I'm good to go. But it's hard mm-hmm. yeah. to feel. And I feel like this was another question that came in. Someone says, how do I not be my husband's roommate? <laughs> yeah, And I feel like so much of what we do, it's like get the kids here, make yes. dinner, get, you know, there's yep. just so much of a to-do list every day that how do we then transition into that and, and make that something that for me at least, and I can only speak for myself, it's like, I have to make that mental switch from, oh, yeah, I like this. And this isn't like, oh, I'm tired.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? Right. Well, what I would say is that, you know, first of all, to create a good sexual relationship in marriage, it's an investment. You can't, it's not going to just happen to you. You have to create it. You have to cultivate it. You have to think about it as something that you are committed to doing if you really want a growing, happy marriage there's a commitment to creating that space in which that energy can thrive. And it's as important as anything else you try to cultivate in your life. If you have children and you're invested in their eating healthfully or them learning to play an instrument or any of those other things, those are kind of commitments of being commitments of where you put your energy and resources to create that possibility. And what a lot of couples do is they make you know, the needs of their kids or Mm -hmm. the cleanliness of the house or whatever, more important than cultivating the romance and the sense of couplehood of a marriage. Okay. And I just think that's extremely important, and it's really easy to neglect it and just sort of assume the marriage should just sort of handle itself. Totally. And I, I think that's not a great model.
0: So what do couples do that are doing it well? Who are prioritizing that?
1: Yeah, well, I think the couples that do it well is they 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 think that they value themselves as parents or as good employees or good you know they value their various roles, but they don't lose track of two things. They don't lose track of their partnership, okay, as the as a primary and foundational reality to the parenting role, for example, mm-hmm. and. They don't lose track of their sense of individuality as primary to the partnership. Okay. So, what I mean by that is, you know, a, a lot of women, for example, they their identity as a mother becomes so dominant in their minds that they lose track of themselves as a woman first, mm-hmm. as a partner second, and as a mother third. And and there's an important sort of I'm not I don't know if the, if hierarchy is quite the right way to say it, but Holding on to your sense of self outside of those roles is really, really important to a passionate marriage. Holding on to a sense of a marriage outside of the role of being parents is important for really creating a strong uh, partnership. And so I think the people that do it well, you know, they don't neglect their own development. They don't neglect aspects of themselves that matter to them. You know, this whole idea, well, I should be selfless and Mm -hmm. it's selfish if I care about going to the gym or it's selfish if I go and take this class or it's, you know, selfish if I pursue things that matter to me. I mean, of course, that can be true if you make your interests more important than anything else or you do them at the expense of important other realities. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, especially as women, we are taught that somehow making room for that at all is to detract from our children or from our marriages, when in fact, thriving and knowing how to belong to yourself is really fundamental to being able to be happy about being partnered or happy about being a parent.
0: Okay. So that's like step number one is focusing on things that will bring your sense of self back alive. Yeah, or keep it alive. Okay, you Stay committed to your
1: own sense of self. Now, I understand when children are young and you have a newborn baby, You know, you're not taking classes. You're not learning, you know, (laughs) some new skill at that time. You're learning how to, like, stay alive. Okay, so I understand that when you are in young motherhood, there is a lot of self-sacrifice that's inherent to that period. And that's okay because meaning even the, the more clearly you choose that and you understand that it's a period of time, you know, the more you can kind of sustain it and handle it. Um, but you can't do that in the long term and you can't do it chronically mm-hmm. without all of your relationships paying a price, your children included, right? Your okay. relationship with them. So yeah, you you hold on to a sense of self as not like the backup for everybody else, but also a significant player in the family life and you you cultivate your own development But you also then make room for your partnership that amidst all these roles that you take time to go on dates, Mm -hmm. that you take time to write each other notes, to create a sense of like a boundary in a sense around your couplehood. Okay. So you don't take it as a given, like we're married, you have to be here, you you know. You don't let the duties infect a sense of I choose you and you choose me. The couples who do it well keep that sense of really being friends as an important reality that they cultivate and make room for. Therefore, it makes sense to sometimes get a babysitter and just go be a couple. Yeah. Go learn a new skill. Go learn to dance. You might think, well, I shouldn't do that. I've got small kids. I really should. i like, no, because you have small kids, all the more reason to go learn something new together. Go on a hike you've never been on before. Go, you know, Because you start, you can experience being a self and a couple outside of the other roles and come back to the role of parenting or work life with new energy and, you know, new desire. And I think that when you experience yourself and your couplehood in new ways Mm -hmm. that expand you, you find the partnership more exciting. It feels better to be with your partner. It's not like, oh, it's Tuesday, we should have sex. You know, he starts getting annoyed if we get to Thursday or whatever. Like that's not the energy of good sex. Right. But if it's like like we went and did this new thing and we learned how to dance and we experienced each other in a new way and we got away from all these other duties and now we feel sort of re-energized, you're gonna feel more natural passion.
0: Do you have tips for people who are just in that survival mode of we have all these little kids and mm-hmm. we don't even have time or <laughs> mm-hmm. or the money or the whatever yeah. resources to go take a dance class? Sure. What other tips do you have for couples to just... You know, right. Well, it's hard, you
1: know, and, and of course, you know, w- when I I would say prioritizing it is a, is an important thing or okay. realizing we may have finite resources, but making room for us to thrive is an important, it's not superfluous, it's not insignificant. So right. I just am mostly trying to say you want to value it if you want to create a thriving marriage. Of course, you may value it and realize We still can't make that work. There isn't the money to do it. We don't have the sitter or the family support or whatever it might be. But I think, you know, even if you know you're in the thick of it, the more that you um, try hard to not move towards resentment, resentment Mm -hmm. for the things I can't do, resentment for how my spouse can't be everything and, and anything I need, or if there's real issues that need to be addressed in your marriage, that you're really trying to address them. Resentment is a is a libido killer. It is a passion killer. And so you want to look at what's driving resentment if you feel it. Sometimes it's because there's things you need to deal with. You need to address. You need to take up honestly with your spouse. And you need to handle as a couple so that the resentment doesn't fester, that you change the pattern to make it more fair, you're not getting taken advantage of, that mm-hmm. something's working better. Sometimes your resentment is about you're making decisions, but you don't want to take responsibility for your decisions. You want to just kind of be a victim and act like the world owes you something when really it's just a function of living life, and life can be hard and challenging sometimes. And and so sometimes we just have to grow up and not get into a victim mentality and just offer our best in an imperfect world Mm -hmm. that often asks a lot of us. And so can I kind of metabolize or handle the intensity of young parenthood with limited economic realities and not get resentful and just kind of say, look, look, this is what we chose. It's not easy. It never really is. And can I still handle that without festering, you know, and developing anger about just the difficulty of the stage I'm in that mindset is all the more reason to say and we owe it to ourselves to try and create the space to nurture our relationship even if it's at midnight after everybody's in bed Mm -hmm. and I may be tired but I still want to try and go there in my mind with him create something that's sustaining for us because we deserve it. We've been working our butts off. (laughs) Right. Totally. And so I want to try and create that even though I am tired and resources are limited, but we deserve that kind of nurturance.
0: Okay. I love that advice. And I loved what you shared too in the fireside about having the courage to sometimes tackle things that are hard. Mm -hmm. And that by doing that, you, and you open up that vulnerability, that it opens up Intimacy mm-hmm. as well. Yes. And even if it doesn't feel great right in the moment, that your partner will feel that willingness to try to right. work through hard things. So right. I loved that advice too. Are there things that you feel like just little, I don't know, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm still in the thought of like Valentine's Day coming up and people wanting to. How do you create more romance? Yeah. Even if you don't have a lot of money. Well, one of the things that you can do is something that
1: makes marriages, an important foundational idea around romance and good sex is um, the idea of being chosen and desired. Okay. And so you can have someone in your life but still choose them actively and be grateful for them actively and not take them for granted. So not taking each other for granted is really fundamental to romance. So you okay. can do that by you send texts, mm-hmm. you write a note, you, you know, you pick up a single stem flower. You don't have to spend a lot of money and you just say, I like you, 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 I'm glad you're my partner. I'm glad you're my friend. I'm glad you're in my life. You take the time to express appreciation and acknowledgement for the way that that person blesses your life. You, you don't take them for granted. That's just a really powerful way to do it. Another way to do it is to um, think about what are the things that, you know, I do a um, workshop for women and women's sexual development that I was here doing in, in Irvine. And uh, one of the things I talk about is helping women, because that's who I was talking to today, but to think about what is the sex that they really like having. When they think back on their sexual experiences with their spouse which are the ones that really stand out as the most special the most desirable and then to really look at what were the factors what was going on that that was so ideal mm-hmm. was it what we did was it the way my husband was in relationship to me was it the way I was in relationship to him was it how I was in relationship to myself mm-hmm. did I have more self-respect because of certain things I was doing you know was it um you know what were the Factors at play. What were the meanings between us? And the more you can kind of look at a pattern, you can understand this is the place. These are the factors that make me most want to be intimate. You can do it in the opposite way, which is look at more negative experiences, not traumatic ones, but negative sexual experiences are ones that were not exciting for you. And look at what were the factors there. What was our relationship like? What was going on? Were there things that weren't being dealt with? Were there things that weren't being talked about? Was I just not feeling good about myself? Was I feeling disrespect for my spouse because he was doing X, Y, or Z? So the more you can see, like, what cultivates this for me? What detracts? And then you can really think about what's my role in addressing things or creating things that, that were more likely to have sex worth wanting, okay? Sex that's desirable to me. What do I need to address or create more of in my life that that's an easier place to go? And then I have one more idea um, is just that, you know, a lot of times we have, you know, meanings about, you know, what's happening in the couple that are a part of desire, but also we can have meanings that are in the form of like fantasy or thoughts we might have that are like a favorite place to go and can lift us out of the mundane into mm-hmm. the sexual. Okay. You know, so for example, I sometimes tell this story in my workshops, but like if I'm lying next to my husband and I have clients in my head or kids needs in my head and I've got like, <laughs> you know, 4 million thoughts that are not about sex and but I'm lying next to him and I love him and I love going to that place with him, mm-hmm. but my I'm not there. I'm certainly my body's not driving me there. I'm tired and you know all those things are going on, but I like to go there with him because it is a nurturing place for me. It is a way to feel close to him. It's a way to feel happy, you know. And so I want to get there. So what, you know. This is exactly what I was talking about earlier. Sure. Right, exactly. So what, you know, it's like I kind of know there's certain ideas that start to pull me there quickly. Okay. Okay, or quit more quickly than if I weren't thinking them. So one of them is the forbidden. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people like the notion of the forbidden, Okay. And it's a way that grown-ups play with ideas that bring them into the erotic. So, you know, if my husband and I are lying next to each other and he's touching me or I'm touching him, well, my body might be actually kind of responding, but my mind is somewhere else, okay? And that's how Mm -hmm. it usually is for women. Their bodies actually might respond, be in response and they don't even know it, Yeah. but their minds aren't there yet. And so I kind of know if I'm going to facilitate this or get to this place with him, I've got to engage a meaning. So then I might say to my husband you know, I really should get going. You know, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) But But I like I'm I'm implanting the idea. Well, this is forbidden. We, you know, we're, we're not married. We shouldn't be having sex. So then he's like, no, no, just, just wait, you know, don't, don't don't go yet. (laughs) Okay. So we're role-playing an idea that of course it's just him and me. Yeah. And of course we wouldn't you know, I don't want to have forbidden sex, okay? But that we're just playing with an idea, but it's a way of playing together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it creates excitement. It's a way of transporting yourself into a different
0: experience of yourself and each other. But it's okay. still a way to be together. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And these are kind of some of the things that also before we started recording, I told you it's hard if you want to be... Um, for I again, I can only speak from my own experience, but I'm wanting to be a really good member of the church and I want to do things that are in line with what I feel like is appropriate. And I want to make sure I'm getting good advice from good people, but it's not the type of thing you would sit down and ask your bishop mm-hmm. for how do we have a better sex life, you yeah. know? Um, so I think this, there are, I think that suggestion is so great. Mm-hmm. And I also got this um, DM tonight that I felt like, Gosh, this question should probably be asked, even though it's not particularly one that I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. But there was a girl who said, Nobody helped me with this. Nobody would talk me through this. And it took me three years mm-hmm. to figure out how to climax. And mm-hmm. I felt bad reading that and feeling like there's probably a lot of women out there who have either never experienced that or they want to and they don't even know mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. to go. Like, what? I mean, is that mm-hmm. a safe thing for me to ask you for sure. advice on? Sure.
1: Okay, I I answer that kind of question a lot. So, I mean, I think, well, first of all, most women that are pre- orgasmic are thirty or younger. That is to say that most women figure it out with time. Okay, and which I'm not. This is not me punting on the question because it's an important question. The way that women come to climax is through clitoral stimulation. Okay, and the clitoris is a whole network, uh, neural network that sort of wraps around the vaginal opening. The clitoral head is the part you can see through the labia of the vulva. And then the inner labia are part of that clitoral network. It's highly sensitive to touch. And is what, similar to the penis in the man, it's the same basic uh, tissue that forms either into the clitoris for a woman or the penis for a man in development. Okay, So the stimulation of the clitoris is entirely responsible for women's climax. Mm-hmm. And for many people, they think, intercourse should be the way to get sufficient stimulation to come to climax. Well, intercourse is a very poor stimulation form. It's hard to get there with just that. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. And women are much less focused on the clitoris, meaning clitoris matters, but women are much more responsive to full body stimulation and other forms of stimulation where men are more phallic centric. Okay. So just full body stimulation matters. Mental stimulation, what am I thinking about? Am I thinking mm-hmm. about these kinds of thoughts that bring me into the sexual? This is especially important for women, actually. Okay. And I can say a little bit more about that in a minute. But clitoral stimulation is gonna be the way that a woman will climax, okay? And so she may wanna think about the quantity and quality of touch that she's getting to the clitoris to be able to get it sufficiently aroused. Okay. And something that works against it is anxiety. Mm. If you're, and what you're thinking in your mind is going to have a big impact on whether or not you orgasm. Because if you're thinking things like this is never going to work, what's my Mm -hmm. problem? I'm just broken. Why can everybody else come? Well, those are not sexy thoughts and and they're not, and they're going to inhibit you ever getting there. Right. My spouse is bored with me. Oh my gosh. You know, that is not gonna work well. And, I have two things that I recommend for women is that if you have tried with your spouse to climax and you really can't do it, I really recommend taking time on your own when, where you can just work with the kind of stroke style and stimulation style to get to know your own body and find out what is appealing to you, because this will make you more able to be in an intimate relationship. It takes the anxiety level down. Anxiety is an anti-aphrodisiac. It will make you not have an orgasm. So you want to think about what's going to help bring my anxiety level down. So, okay. you you know, you want to get off stage for your first orgasm, okay, because anxiety will be very high. And so if you're anxious about what your spouse is thinking, you're anxious about how you're going to sound, you're anxious that you're taking so long, you want to take those away at first because they're interfering with you creating that possibility.
0: Okay.
1: The other thing you, you want to look at what your thoughts are. If you're in a self-critical, harsh, judgmental place, um, you're, you're going to work against your body's own ability. So you want to be in a kinder place. Mm-hmm. You want to be more compassionate. You want to be ca- as kind to yourself as you would hope your spouse would be. But you also um, don't want to judge yourself by something you don't have control over, which is whether or not you climax. That's not, that's a, reflex in your body. It's not saying you have control over the kind of stimulation you receive. You have control over what your thoughts are. You have control over the kind of woman you are and how you're in relationship to yourself, but not over whether or not your body responds. So I wouldn't try to measure myself by whether or not I climax. I would try to measure myself if I'm going to measure myself by how I'm in relationship to myself, by the level of kindness or courage that I offer myself. And you know Any skill takes practice, and so it's okay to just spend time figuring it out, and if it takes you, you know, four months, it takes you four months. I have a client who couldn't even look at her own vulva with almost, without going into a panic attack, and (laughs) right, really, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, there was just so much anti-sex messaging in her life growing Mm -hmm. up that she started looking at it for 10 seconds, and you know, and then 15, and then 20, and then 30, and then... So she could actually look at it and then, and not go into, you know, full on panic. And then so that she could touch herself through her underwear and not touch her skin, but just touch herself through her underwear, just enough to like, without going into a panic. (laughs) Okay. And, you know, she just slowly made progress. And then she eventually had an orgasm just recently. And it was a small orgasm, but she still went from, I can't even sort of accept that my vulva exists to being able to have her first orgasm. And now she can work on increasing that and still working with regulating her body and settling
0: herself down and getting more integrated with her sexuality. Okay, those are super helpful tips. And I'm I'm really grateful that we like just were that raw and transparent yeah. about exactly what to do. I do have a question though now thinking in terms of like if we go straight back to the For the Strength of Youth pamphlet, in our church, and and we're not the only religion that does frown upon yes. masturbation. So yeah. how do you balance the two? Because there definitely will—I know there will be people who will listen to this who will sure. say, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. Sure.
1: Well, one of the things we talk about a lot in our faith is this idea of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. What is the law designed for? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we don't want to be indulgent and narcissistic and self-serving at the expense of our relationships, okay? But in the context of what I'm talking about, this is about learning about yourself so you are able to be in an intimate partnership. Okay. This isn't like your hands can't touch your genitals. That's a silly idea, in my opinion, okay? (laughs) That's like kind of silly. Only your spouse's hands can touch your genitals. Why? You know, it's not like your genitals belong to him. Yeah, it's it's not the issue of whose hands are touching it, but what are you creating, or not creating, or destroying through what you're doing with your sexuality? So one of the things I say a lot is, your sexuality isn't good or bad. It just is a given. It's a part of being human. It's part mm-hmm. of what God offered. What are you creating through your sexual behavior? So if you're just constantly in fear and anxiety and in orgasmic madness. Okay. That's, I don't see any virtue in that. Okay? Right. Right. It's only creating frustration in a marriage. Yes. So it's like, why not learn about your body that God gave you? Why not understand what's at work there? So you are more, you know, what the workshop I did today, one of the women was saying that, you know, she had that anxiety at first and then she just realized she needed to learn to orgasm and she needed to figure this out. And so she kept working with herself until she got quite able to do it. You know, not just once, not just twice, but she really kind of had sort of mastered. She understood how to get there. Then she was able to bring it into her marriage and be able to teach her husband what gave her pleasure, be able to regulate her own anxiety about it, to be able to really partner with him and start to have meaningful sexual experiences as a couple. I right. see that as unequivocally good because it creates a stronger marriage, a stronger woman, right?
0: stronger partnership. So show me the evil. I don't see it. And I mean, I hear you and what you're saying, Mm -hmm. and that does feel completely different from like an indulgence. I'm just in a
1: closet looking at porn, you know, touching myself, not doing other important things in my life. Of course, that's a different picture. Right. And of course, we would discourage that in anybody.
0: Right. Well, and that does make so much sense, I guess, if we're thinking in the context of, I mean, you and I had this conversation before, and most people who are familiar with me know that we're very open that Neil and I lived through pornography addiction and that um, that was something we worked through in our marriage and that, to me, it does seem like there's a big difference between maybe someone who has a prescription from a doctor for a specific cause after a surgery or something versus someone who is indulgently Mm -hmm. taking a 1,000 prescription pills a month or something. So I don't know. Right, exactly. Like, what's what's it designed
1: to do? What's it creating? What's it...
0: Right. Exactly. Versus something
1: indulgent or destructive.
0: Yeah, that helps a lot. Okay, I want to ask the number one question that I was asked on my Instagram when I opened up for questions. You know, what questions do you have for Dr. Mm-hmm. Dr. Fife? Mm-hmm. The number one question was, what is the appropriate number of times to have sex during the week? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I I have to be honest with you, whenever this topic comes up, I think it's super interesting that you have couples who say, Oh, we have sex almost every night. And then people who say, like, oh, we're lucky to have sex once a month.
1: Like, right. It's
0: just all over the place. So what, yeah. what so do you can think? Can you give me the question again? It's like, how?
1: what is the average or what's ideal? How did you ask it?
0: Um, I got all kinds of versions yeah. of it, but uh-huh. I think the more the more interesting question is, yeah, what's ideal? What's what's healthy? What's going to make a couple happy, I, guess? I
1: don't think the measure
0: of that question
1: is really frequency. I mean, I'll answer the question of frequency in terms of what's typical. Okay. I think that the research is like, I can't remember, it was like 1.3 is the average time okay, number of times a week per that week. people have sex. It's like, tonight or 0.3 night or one night? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so that's somewhat average, but I know there was another study that I was reading about is that couples who had sex once a week were happier than people who had sex less than that. Interesting. And also people that had sex a lot more than that. I can't remember what, it, how that study was done, but it was sort of interesting that like like three times a week or more was actually started to correlate with unhappiness. Hmm. Now, I think that's not because having sex four times a week or seven times a week is bad for a couple by any stretch. It's that probably what's happening is that the issue of collaborating around something that actually you both want is getting impaired. That's the real issue. Okay. Because if a couple is actually pretty comfortable having sex once a week and it fits for them well enough, they're going to be happy. If they like both together really like having it five times a week, that's going to make them happy. But I, I don't think the issue is frequency, although I'm not saying it's, it doesn't Bolin. weigh in at all. Mm-hmm. But but I think it's more how does this couple navigate the issue of their differences, and do they do it in a way that's fair and
0: kind and works to their mutual sustenance? That's really the issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and so you're kind of saying, too, that oftentimes... One person wants it more than the other. Yeah. Trying to find that like happy medium that respects both people's wants.
1: Yes, exactly. So
0: how do you find that?
1: Well, I mean, I think in any happy marriage decision, you're you're trying to find a way that two people thrive. I don't want to deprive you of sex all the time, but mm-hmm. I also don't want to feel like I am always trying to prop up your desire. Okay. Right? So how do we as a couple work this out? Um, and I I don't know that I'm here to say, I, here's all this, what the answer looks like, but that (laughs) struggle between a couple to do that in a way that's honest and fair is going to pressure each person to grow up a bit. Mm. Maybe for the higher desire person, they realize that they're always sort of looking to their spouse to manage their sense of self through desire. And so it's not just that they like to have sex a lot, that they're actually kind of trying to kind of get something from their spouse that really isn't their spouse's job. Right. Or the low desire person might realize, you know, I'm often I don't want to maybe deal with my sexuality or I don't want to invest the time and energy to create a good sexual relationship. And so I just resent or I find it easy to feel like a victim because he or she wants it more. And that's an indulgent position. So you if you can each like grow yourselves up as couples grow themselves up, the desire differences get smaller. You know, the lower desire person's like, look, you know, I'm invested in a good marriage. I, you know, so sometimes I might need to think more about things or, you know, remember scenarios or ideas that cultivate my interest. And for the higher desire person, they get better at sort of just regulating themselves and not always looking to the other person to manage their feelings about themselves through sex. And so it, it's more about a shared place to go together. going on an adventure together as
0: a couple. And a theme that I feel like I've heard from you all night, whether it's here or especially at the Fireside, where we talked more deeply about having just great marriages, I felt like the theme that I kept hearing from you was work on yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you really dig deep with that self-improvement, you bring such a better person to the marriage which mm-hmm. then yes <laughs> oftentimes just lends to a happier marriage and yeah. better sexual it interactions does. and all of the things fall right into place That's when right. people are willing to work on themselves. Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: It's like you really can't be happily married unless you're a solid kind, fair person. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what your interest in sex is or isn't, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, your differences it's more about what kind of person you are, you know? And so yeah. if you're a cruel, mean, sadistic person, you're not going to be happily married no matter who you're married to. Yeah. Or at least she's not going to be happy right. or, or no, he or whatever, depending on who. That's it.
0: true. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another tactical question for you. So do you suggest as far as, you say, you've got like a little bit higher, a little bit lower um, desire, like a couple mm. where one's a little higher, one's a little lower, they mm. want to come together do you suggest like you kind of pick a day where that's like an expectation, or do you still think like the fluidity of randomness is better, or do you have advice as far as that goes, where both people are wanting to come to a happy medium?
1: I don't know. I mean, some people like planning it. I, I've not ever seen that work really well, but I'm not saying
0: I know. Yeah, that it gives can't. me anxiety, but. I've heard people say that that's like a good idea. Well,
1: I think it can be a good idea if people, depending on how people approach it. Mm -hmm. So I think if people think of it as like Friday night is sort of date night and it's our sexual night. Okay. And that's not like, oh, I have to do it because this is, I hate it, but because it's scheduled and it's like going to the dentist and so I got (laughs) it, you know, you got to get your root canal. I don't think that that's a really great framing. Mm -hmm. If people think of it as like, look, kids in life take over. And this is the time we make time for a good relationship and we plan for it like we would any other, like when you were dating, you mm-hmm. planned for it. If you're thinking of it that way, you like having sex and you like cultivating or calling or out the space for it, you know, then I think it can work really well. Okay. Because you think about what am I going to wear for any night? Where are we going to go eat? And I'm looking forward to this. And maybe we could try this afterwards. And yeah. I read this really fun idea of what we could do sexually. Well, then it's like, okay, well, it's like a way of, creating a focus and creating a space for something. I think that works well. If it's okay. about, come on, it's Tuesday. You have to, uh, uh, that doesn't work <laughs> well at all.
0: Um, I have two more questions for mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. So second to last question. I think this was another thing I briefly mentioned before. I think it was offline, but, um, that same stake president who gave us the advice mm-hmm. that we talked about in the very beginning also said, please don't go to Google for your questions or ideas, which I think is pretty good advice because there's just all kinds of Mm. crazy things out there. And then also you, you know, Google is not always the greatest expert. And second Mm -hmm. of all, like you don't necessarily want to be like, I don't want my mind to go in places that are not good. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time you were just saying like, Oh, maybe we could try this or try that. Mm -hmm. I don't really know a whole lot other than just what I know, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So do you have, like, is that something you teach in your courses or, or mm-hmm. like, ideas that you give people? Or are there other, like, good, wholesome places to find mm-hmm. ideas of how you can expand your sexuality without literally, like, going down the pornography? Like, mm-hmm. that's just not ever where I want sure. to be, Sure. You know?
1: I mean, I wish there were more good resources than mm-hmm. I think there are, but, you know, they're a little bit hard to find. But I think, you know, there's, like... There's books like 101 Nights of Great Sex, you know, so it's a book, you can buy an app for it. And the husband has one side and the wife has one side. And you can open up and it has an idea, something that you can do that's fun, exciting, different. And the spouse, the other person doesn't know what it is. And Mm -hmm. you surprise them with it. Okay, so you might say, I want you to meet me at this restaurant, and then it tells you things that you can do. And, you know, of course, you don't have to do everything that's there, but you yeah. can't. it gives you ideas, and it's meant for married couples, and it's a way of keeping things exciting. And then, they you know, and the next time you do it, the husband's the one with the idea. So it lends to this un- excitement, the uncertainty. What mm-hmm. is he going to do tonight? It's our Friday night thing, but what's it going to include, and, you right. know, why does he want me to show up over here? And And so it creates novelty, uncertainty, Mm -hmm. excitement, and a way of kind of experiencing each other in a new way. And, you know, there's that book and that app, but there's a lot of those. um, I just can't think of any of them right now, but there's apps and things like that that give couples these new and fun ideas. And, you know, you don't have to go to pornography. You can, if you're creative and thoughtful, you know, you can generate ideas within the couple of exciting new things you can do. I think couples can create fantasy narratives together. Now, some people get really afraid of the idea of fantasy. Isn't isn't fantasy like not being with your spouse? I would say no. I think fantasy, well, it can be that. Okay, you could use it that way, that you're blocking out the presence of your spouse because you're so deep in some fantasy, right? But I I think it's the the best version of it is that your spouse and you are doing a kind of grown-up play, a grown-up form of make-believe that you can kind of experience each other in a new way. And so you can pretend that you know, uh, you know, you're the queen and I'm the gardener or the servant, you know. (laughs) And, you know, you can play with these kinds of roles or ideas, but they can make it fun Mm -hmm. and you can experience each other in a new way. Now, some people never do fantasy and they don't need to, but it certainly can be a fun way to expand your repertoire and to play together with,
0: you know, the erotic. And not have it just be... Just... Yeah, I'm your mom in sweats, doing and I'm the tired. same exactly, yeah. <laughs> and doing the same thing
1: over and over, or a new outfit, or wearing
0: clothes that make you feel sexy. You know, all that's fun. Like, yeah, you know. Okay, yeah. those mm-hmm. are helpful. Um, and I know you have a course too, which I wanted to mention. So, because it's close to Valentine's Day, you have like a sale that's going on for that too, right? Yeah. Can so explain we, that a little bit. Yeah. So
1: I have currently four online courses. That I, they're designed primarily for LDS couples, but they really are suitable for anybody, particularly anybody that has a faith frame, because it's, mm-hmm. it's speaking from, uh, it's it's not heavy on on religion by any stretch, but it's sort of speaking from a frame of how we develop ourselves to become better people, um, and more loving people, and so on. And so I have a course for couples strengthening your relationship of how to look at your role in creating unhappiness in your marriage and what you can change and how you can do better. And then a course on enhancing sexual intimacy designed for couples that's a good second course. So you, you you don't have to start with the strengthening your relationship course, but the enhancing sexual intimacy is helping you look at patterns of engagement or behavior that are interfering with how intimate your marriage is, with how much peace and comfort you have through being sexual, and then also ways that you can create more novelty and fun and excitement as a couple. I have a class called The Art of Desire, which is a women's self and sexual development course that's mm-hmm. a very popular one of really helping women become more at peace with their sexuality and know themselves better and know how to cultivate and create a stronger sexual relationship that they really enjoy, not just you know makes their husband happy. Um, and and then a course on how to talk to your kids about sex. And that's really the goal of that is how to teach your children sexual integrity.
0: Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so help them integrate their sexuality, but also integrate it with their values. Awesome. Yeah, and so there is a 20% off sale for Valentine's Day. Okay. And if you buy multiple courses, you get more off. So. Okay,
0: well, we'll put all of that in the show notes, and I'm excited to offer that. And I need to jump into those courses, too, because I have a lot to learn. Yeah. So... My last question that I have for you that I like to ask each podcast guest is if there's one message that you want the listener to walk away remembering, what do you want that one message to be?
1: I think what I would say is that your your sexuality is a really fundamental part of you being a strong woman who's at peace with yourself. So it's, I would say the not having it in the frame of sex is something you do for a husband, Mm -hmm. but your sexuality is an important way of being with yourself and therefore also with your husband. And cultivating that romantic relationship or cultivating a good sexual relationship is one of the kindest things you will ever do for yourself. Mm -hmm. So it matters, and making space for it matters. We may think it shouldn't. We may think sex is frivolous, but it's not. It's fundamental Mm -hmm. to being human, and so creating something desirable and worthy
0: is is well worth our investment of our energy. I love that. Thank you so much. My Thanks pleasure. for sharing that and for teaching us and giving us so much good advice. Where can people find you if they want to follow more sure. of your advice? Two things. One is just my website, finlayson-fife.com.
1: So that's just where you can find my online courses, where you can find... Um, different articles I've written, uh, where I've be doing live workshops, because I do them quite a bit. Um, and then also you can go on iTunes or any of those Apple podcasts. And I have um, the Finlayson Fife podcast archive, where I have all the podcasts that I've done. So you can uh, find a
0: lot of different interviews I've done there. Okay. Awesome. Thank you again so yeah. much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages.